scriptures we ask Lord that you will uh, illuminate them to us may we hear from you in Jesus name amen hey good morning church family welcome to our online service wherever you may be I know uh, you probably have seen some of the communication online we indeed uh, are encouraging you to gather together in groups in this season and we appreciate you guys doing that and uh, maintaining some kind of social distance but still being part of church. I know my wife, I believe she let me know that she has a couple of her Bible study gals at church uh, this morning. So ladies, hello, a special hello to you inside of my home. I pray the house is clean and my kids are behaving. Um, if I haven't met you and you're checking in for the first time, my name is Jesse, and uh, for the most part, I have the opportunity of uh, teaching the Word of God here. We are going to be in Exodus this morning, uh, and before we do, we wanted to just kind of highlight uh, a special uh, situation that we have that, well, everything's a special situation these days, um, but we have a student in our Awana program. Her name is Jamie Howard, and she went through all through Awana and is getting her citation award, and because we've had to do awards a little differently, we wanted to honor her, uh, and we wanted to tell her how much we're proud of her and that we love her and we're thankful for that. This means, just so you know, Jeff Gilpin will come up here in just a moment and share with you, uh, but she basically has been studying and memorizing scripture since like the age of four, and now she's at this place in high school, and she's graduating, and uh, she knows more Bible verses than uh, all of us combined that are listening. So uh, if you would, uh, give a warm welcome uh, to the Howard family and to, um, to Big Jeff, Jeff Gilpin, who's uh, one of our Awana missionaries and a uh, great guy. I'm going to hand it over to him, and then he's going to share with you uh, all that's entailed, and then he's going to honor her. So Jeff, thanks. Hey, good morning. Um, you'll never forget this, will you? Different kind of way of getting awards. Um, so, like Jesse said, this is Jamie Howard. She's been around here since two years old, maybe. 
Uh, we're here to present her Awana Citation uh, Award, and uh, so I get to tell you a little bit about that. I'm just going to share briefly. Um, number one, uh, I just want to kind of tell you how rare this is. In the area that I serve, I serve the state of Nevada, eastern Sierra California, and northern Arizona. There's seven kids who achieved that award in my area this year. In the entire state of California, 900 churches that we serve, 50. And then across the country, uh, roughly a million kids in Awana across the U.S., and there's only 300 kids that have earned that award. So uh, definitely uh, demonstrates a commitment to the Lord, uh, commitment to his word, and, and Jamie growing a deeper relationship with uh, Jesus. So uh, I just want to tell you, what did she have to do to do that? Uh, so number one, she had to read the, and as I think, of, as I share this with you, really think about what I'm telling you, okay? I don't just gloss over what, so she had to read the entire Bible cover to cover and provide a summary of the key themes of each of those books of the Bible. So if you want to know what the theme to Amos is, Jamie knows, right? Um, uh, so from third grade on, she had to complete 10 year-long Bible studies. These are some of the topics. Who God is, who Jesus is, why did God give us the Bible, where do I fit in with God's plan, where does she fit in with God's plan, uh, apologetics, what is discipleship, sharing your faith. And then this year they did a year-long study on the gospel, so they studied Romans, Galatians, and, and Ephesians. She had to serve. You know, the church in the United States is very consumeristic. So for us to raise up a generation of kids, for us to tell them, hey, instead of what does the church give you, what can you bring to the church? That's the kind of disciples we want to raise. She had to attend a Christian conference every year. And then she memorized uh, over the last 10-plus years roughly 1,000 verses, give or take. Okay? Uh, so as I, as I share that with you, I mean, how many of you have read the entire Bible cover to cover? Um, so then the other thing, I, other, other people I want to recognize is John and Jenny. Um, so J Jamie did this alone, but she really needed John and Jenny's help. And I want to encourage you parents, how do you define success as a parent? If your children know Jesus, you're a success. If they win the World Series, win the Super Bowl, there's no diploma, anything that even comes a close second to making sure your children know the Lord. So I want to encourage you in that and thank John and Jenny for their uh, diligence in raising kids. So congratulations to Jamie, congratulations to John and Jenny, and then congratulations to the Sierra Bible Church community and uh, the children's church workers and the youth pastors and the, the pastors and on and on and on. As a church, that's what our, our mission is, to raise... Follow Jesus and make disciples. That's the mission of our church. So, Jamie wanted to just say something really briefly, and then, John, you can present the award. I just wanted to thank all of the Awana leaders that have helped me over the years. It's been a really cool journey just to deepen myself in the Lord's love, and just I want to thank all of you guys who have helped me throughout the years through Cubbies, Sparkies, TNT, Trek, and, of course, Journey with my parents. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks, man. Congratulations. Air high five. Okay. Um, Exodus chapter 8. And uh, I'm actually going to move kind of rapidly through the text this morning to kind of give you a heads up. 
The title, uh, the tag of this morning's message is, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Part two. So we went through it last week a little bit. We're going to go into it again. I'm going to cover a big section of scripture. We're not going to read all of it because it would probably take about 20 minutes to do so. Uh, But I'm going to give you the main uh, ideas of the text, the main takeaways. And before I do that, I know it's Memorial Day and we are, uh, or Memorial Weekend. I know we're celebrating those uh, that we are thankful for who have fought for our country uh, and have served us well. And I think it's also important to do to uh, also memorialize those that we've uh, lost uh, this year. I know recently Ravi Zacharias has passed away, and we're praying for his family, and we are thankful for a titan uh, in the faith and all that he has done to defend and propagate uh, the goodness of Jesus. He is far more intelligent than I ever will be, uh, and he definitely sounds smarter with an accent. I think everyone sounds smarter with an accent. Um, I would preach with one, but I don't have one. Uh, and, then, and then I'll say this. We are also uh, to be, I think, uh, thankful for our leaders. So I, I, I know I sent out a video this week. Some of you probably saw it on Facebook. Some of you didn't. Uh, President Trump made a major announcement on Friday that has gone viral within the Christian community. There's about 1,000 plus, I think close to 3,000 churches uh, that are standing together to say the government has overreached and we're opening up church on May 31st. I had uh, several text messages, emails, uh, Facebook and social media messages. What is Sierra Bible Church doing? And so uh, I want to let you know a couple things. Number one, uh, I am thankful that the, the, the president, for whatever his motive may be, I am not God, I can't see in the hearts of man, but I'm thankful that he has stood up and said something that I definitely do believe. That is that the church is essential. Uh, and that is an interesting title where that is being thrown around. What is essential and what is not essential? And I believe that God died to make us part of a family. That's the church. So let's be really, really mindful of understanding something as biblically minded, theologically caring, doctrinally true Christians. The church is not a building. The church is not the four walls. Uh, in fact, I want to challenge you a little bit. Part of my job is not only to care for you and to love you, uh, but to help you understand how you should grow in your faith. And I think that Jesus wants you to grow in your faith. I am extremely grateful that you are excited to return to church. I'd say that's most of you, almost all of you, but not all of you. Uh, there are several of you who are still fearful, and I understand that. There are several of you who enter into the realm of uh, being, as they would say, struggling for the word at this time, but, but vulnerable uh, with a pre-existing condition. And you're not ready to come back no matter what anybody says. And I totally understand that. And as a pastor, I have to uh, be mindful of all different parties and to try to pastor all of you in in different arenas. And for our leadership, it is not easy. It's difficult. And that's okay. Difficult is okay. Hard conversations are okay. And I'm excited that many of you want to come back, but I want to challenge you in this. If you would be just as excited about coming back as you would be about the mission of God, that would greatly change everything. What do I mean by that? What I mean is, for years, the church has gathered in a building. And for years, the church has had the opportunity to be in the four walls. But if we're really honest, the church has not been so great about getting outside of the four walls, serving its community well, sharing the message that God is a God of love and forgiveness, mercy and kindness, and that Jesus and Jesus alone has the ability to put us in an intimate relationship with God himself. And so I would say, before you come back to church, I heard this line spoken by another 
pastor buddy of mine, before you come back to church, come back to God. Come back to a relationship with God. Come back to an intimacy with God. And so when you come back, you come back not just, hey, it's important that we gather together, but that it's important that we also go outside of the church building and love our community. And that has been the dual purpose of what our leadership has been trying to balance between. How we continue to gather together as a church, how we allow ourselves to practice the freedoms in which we believe the government has given us to gather and to assemble, but we also recognize that we want our community to see that we care about them and that we're not just rogue and that we're, just, we're not just fighting for our right to meet together, but that we're doing it in a way that is safe, that shows the community that we care for the community. And that's why I launched the video, stating that we just simply weren't totally ready for everyone to come into the building uh, on Sunday. And as grateful as I am for President Trump, I, if I was one of his counselors, and I'm not, by God's grace, I'm not, um, that's a whole other kind of job. Uh, but I probably would have said, could you not have made the announcement on Friday? Because church is Sunday. I would have rather had him said something on Monday. Uh, but I'm not a leader in that realm, and I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to grumble because the Bible is clear that we're not to complain or grumble. Uh, but I'm going to be thankful that he does care about churches. Again, for whatever reason, I don't know. Uh, however, we still need as a church to make sure that the building is prepared for you coming back. And so after the, the announcement that Trump made, the CDC then launched its qualifications for faith-based organizations, which we received that list uh, and, and uh, got it from emails. We've been in contact with the churches that, uh, from all over, really, I've been personally in contact with churches in California, Nevada, Utah, as well as Hawaii, uh, as well as some churches in New York City. I have some relationships with churches there now. Uh, and, and they're really, all of them are saying there's really no right or wrong way to go about this, but what you do need to know is no matter what you do, nobody's, not everybody's going to be happy, and we recognize that. So what the plan is, before we get into the text here, just by way of communication to you as a church, I know many of you are camping right now, and you're probably listening to this later, but <clears throat> our, leadership, our leadership plans to meet on Tuesday, and uh, the main reason is Trump made his announcement Friday, then the CDC, and then Gavin Newsom in California is going to make an announcement on Monday. Now, once that announcement's made, it gives us just more information and clarity. Uh, I believe that our leadership should not make the decision solely based on what the government says to do or not to do, though there are scriptures that tell us as Christians to obey the governing authorities that all would go well with us. In fact, the church was birthed under Nero, which is some of the worst leadership that ever existed in the history of Christianity, and it thrived. And I said it last week, Christianity has always thrived with its back against the wall. Again, before you come back to church, be ready to come back to God. That's what Exodus is all about. And upon that information, through prayer and through wrestling, whether we're to be obeying the government or whether it's a place like in Acts, I believe it's chapter 5 or 15, I can't remember, there's a 5 in there, uh, where we are uh, see, seeing Paul and others stand up in opposition of the government for the sake of the gospel. This is much more complex than we could ever think or imagine. And new information is coming out all of the time. And with that said, we, when we do gather together, which I do believe probably will be sooner than later, uh, we're not going to be sitting here as a church and telling you we're doing everything we can to keep you safe. We will. We'll do what we can. But it, what we really want to be able to advocate is for you to do everything you can to keep the church safe. 
That means that you should be making sure that you're not feeling ill. You haven't been around someone that has been ill. You are making sure that you wash your hands. It's crazy that we even have to teach that, but you do need to wash your hands. It's important that you uh, make yourself mindful of others. Do they want to hug? Do they not want to hug? Do they want to high five? Do they want to tap boots? Do they want to air high five? Or do they just not want to talk to you at all? The church has always had those kind of people in it anyways. They usually sit in the back row. So with all of that said, um, we want you to take personal responsibility. We're not going to police you because the church is not about policing. The church is about preaching and connecting you with a relationship with Christ. So continue to pray for your leadership. I recognize not all of you will agree with all of my statements. And I recognize some of you do agree. And I recognize some of you don't know what to think. <laughs> I don't always know what to think. This has been a complex issue. But what I do know is that we are to have a heart of service, a heart of understanding, a heart of patience, and a heart of caring not only for our brothers and sisters in the church, but for our community as a whole. Because the world is watching us. I, I don't mean to rant, but this is important. Right now, you and I have been chosen in God's providence to live in a time in history that literally will be remembered for hundreds of years. There is no doubt about it. You have been chosen to live in a day and in an age, in a point in time, where this will be marked in the history books for a very long time. And the culture that, it, that we're in and the culture after us within those history books will have written how the church responded. And if we don't respond with wisdom, we may give the gospel a look of foolishness and taint it. And we don't want that. And so if we haven't rushed to get back together, that's why. The Bible is never in a hurry. God's never in a hurry. Remember in Exodus to make sure we're tying it to the text this morning. The people... God's people, the Hebrews, have been waiting for 400 years to get to this point. And then after 400 years, after they will leave Pharaoh's grip, which we know they will, do you know how long they wandered after that in the desert before they received the promised land? 40 more years. So if you think just a few months of quarantine has been tough, you have no idea. So with that said, let's pray, and then we'll get in the text. Lord, thank you that you're good to us. Thank you that individuals have continued to give online to support our church and our staff, and our mission. Thank you so much for taking care of us. Thank you for the new people checking in online. Thank you for the groups of people that are now in homes that I know are gathering all through the Truckee area together. Thank you that your mission is true, no matter what the circumstances are. Speak to us from your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you're at home, you're with your group, trying to maintain church as much as possible, stand with me, and we're going to read. I'm going to bounce around. I'll tell you exactly where we're reading. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 8. And we're going to start in verse 20. And basically what we have is we have Moses going to Pharaoh in the morning, telling Pharaoh, let my people go. If you don't, there'll be a plague. The plague hits. Every one of these plagues is directly attacking a false god that the Egyptians were worshiping. Now, be mindful of this also. Not only were the Egyptians worshiping these false gods, it's very likely the Hebrews who were to only be worshiping Yahweh were also adopting some of these religious practices. So the idea of the people getting out of Egypt is much more about just getting out of a land or out of a territory. It's getting out of false worship and false, false religion and slavery and into freedom with the only true God there is. Verse 20, chapter 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning, present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I'll, I'll send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses, 
and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies, and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day I will set the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that the swarms of flies shall not be there, and they will know that I am the Lord. Remember, that's the theme. This is all about that they would know that I am the Lord, their God. Now, the first four uh, plagues the Hebrews experienced along with the Egyptians, but now all of a sudden we see in the same land, but just a little bit away where the slaves were residing in the land of Goshen, they are not experiencing the plagues. Verse 1, chapter 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, uh, and Moses has responded each time. He says he's going to let the people go, and then he doesn't. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, say to him, Thus says the Lord, God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold, and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague in your livestock that are in the fields and the horses, the donkeys and the camels and the herds and the flocks. This is literally a disease. The coronavirus amongst the, 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 the livestock. I don't know if it's a coronavirus or not, but it kills all of the cattle, all of the sheep, and they all die except for the animals in Goshen. Now jump to chapter 9, verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, take, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air, kind of like LeBron James before a basketball game. Throw the soot in the air. In the sight of Pharaoh, it will become fine dust all over the land of Egypt, and boils will break out on sores on man and beast. This is another plague, another disease. Boils break out on the skin of both animals and people, the animals that are at least alive. Now jump to verse 18 of chapter 9. Behold, about this time tomorrow, he says, I will cause heavy hail to fall, such as never been seen in Egypt from this day that it was founded until now. It actually says, uh, later that there was fire on the ground. This hail is, is not just icy hail, it's fiery hail. And there's fire and it kills any of the other animals that were still left. Now jump to verse 27. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to him, I have sinned. You hear what he says here? I've sinned. He's finally confessing, it seems. The Lord, I've, can, I've sinned in, in the Lord and in, in his right. And I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord that there has been enough of God's thunder and hail, and I will let you go, and you shall uh, stay no longer. And then Moses says, I know, if you look down just a little bit further, I know that you do not fear the Lord your God. Now go to chapter 10, and it's the plague of the locust that then hits the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and his heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and you may tell in the hearing of your sons and of your grandson, how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. There it is again. Verse 4, for if you refuse, let my people go, or behold, tomorrow I'll send locusts into your country, and they shall eat whatever is left to you after the hail. They shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the fields. Now jump to chapter 10, verse 21, the ninth plague the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand from heaven. There may be darkness over the land of Egypt, so darkness may be felt. It's such a darkness that it would be felt. So Moses, verse 22, stretched out his hand toward heaven. There was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. Locked down for three days with no light. They can't even see one another. Complete isolation, but all the people of Israel did have light where they lived. 
This is the word of the Lord. And the church said, amen. You may be seated. Okay, so I know I covered a lot, and I know I didn't cover some things. Uh, So obviously I'm going to encourage you to go back uh, on your own and look through some of the other nuances that are in the text. Uh, But I do have a game plan in which we're teaching through Exodus, and this uh, is what I've included, is covering these other verses. So who's the Lord that I should obey him? He, he's essentially introducing himself to the Egyptians, but also to the Hebrews. The Hebrews have forgotten, okay? And, and here's the thing, like right now, right now, uh, initially, just like at 9-11, when everything went kablooey, people wanted to hear from God, and they would check in to the churches to hear from God. What's happening now is people are starting to forget and they're not checking in online uh, and they're becoming more isolated. And and one of the things God has said to me, and I think it it ties in with where we're at, is God has said to me, listen, the country has has done a lot in regards to thinking about one's physical well-being. And we know as Christians that we're not just physical, we're also spiritual. And indeed, statistics are saying that the isolation is driving up depression and suicides and all kinds of other ailments that are tied with our psychological and, I believe, our spiritual well-being. In fact, I'm going to share with the elders when we meet uh, C.S. Lewis, who, if you remember, C.S. Lewis actually, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, uh, but C.S. Lewis, who was once an an atheist, he he didn't believe in God. Uh, And then when he became a Christian, he struggled with the idea of, okay, if I believe in God, why in the world do I need to gather together in a building? And he recognized that it was a necessity to gather in a building with other Christians and Somewhere along the lines, he said something like this, that by sitting next to one another, you're pulled out of your isolation and pulled out of your own self-seeking. He basically said, there's something about being in a group with other people, hearing them sing, looking at them, studying their Bibles, that pulls you out of your own selfishness. Now, this is what exactly what God is trying to accomplish with the Hebrews, to pull them out of their isolation, their depression, their slavery, and to bring them as a group of people out of Egypt and into a new land. And the, the, the fourth plague that's listed here is the flies. Now, the flies, this is in a direct attack against the God of Kephir. Uh, the God of Kephir it, it was literally the God of eternal life the God of salvation. And, and, and what God is trying to say here is, he's saying, listen, the real life in me is the only life that there is. It's not found in anything else. It's not found in your entertainment. It's not found in your wallet book. It's not found in whatever securities you have around you that you've built around you to make you or help you feel as if your life is fulfilled and new. And all of us, I've said it before, I say it almost every Easter, all of us are looking for a new resurrection and a new day. One comment last week that someone gave me was, man, thank you for the reminder. I have been praying more for the removal of the virus rather than what is it that God wants to remove from me spiritually? What is it that God wants to do in your life to bring to newness? God is not just concerned with removing the virus or removing the trial and tribulation in your life no more than he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were being persecuted for their faith. They were thrown into a fiery kiln that they would die a burning, excruciating death. And instead of dying, God meets them in the fire. And they look in the fire and they go, there's four people walking around in there. One looks like the Son of God. And I've always used that as an example to show that God desires in the fiery trial to give us newness in the trial, not just to take us out of the trial. 
because we have trials in this life. Only God has the power to give us what we truly, truly want, which is a new life, which is an eternal life, which Jesus came to give us. And he says it this way in John 11, chapter 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and I am the life. God is directly attacking the God of Kephir, the, literally the Lord of the flies, some would call Beelzebub. This is Satan himself, if you will, declaring that he has life and he simply does not. He is a liar. And Jesus and Jesus alone is eternal life. Pharaoh sees this. Imagine again, you're, you're home, you've, you've dealt with the frogs. Now, what's, I think, somewhat comical, had the frogs not been removed, the flies would have never been a problem. And yet he says, wait till tomorrow, and, and, and he lets the frogs go. The frogs are all dead. They're in heaping piles. Some believe this isn't, again, it's not miraculous. It's just a, a, a way of events after all of the frogs die. Well, that naturally just allows a, a great breeding ground for these flies, and that's why these flies exist. And so here we are, the flies are all over the place, and Pharaoh is freaking out. He says, okay, fine, and then he pulls back. His heart is hardened, and then another plague comes, and that plague is that of the Egyptian livestock dying. What I think is kind of funny, again, I said it last week, I, I think it's amazing how there's things in this text that are just applying to us in the season. So literally, all of the meat dies. There's a meat shortage. That was my, I was fine up until they said there was going to be a meat shortage. I was totally cool. And then I was like, got to go to Costco, got to buy a bunch of bacon, got to put it in the freezer. Because, yeah. <laughs> and here, here, here's what's happening with these. There's a complete meat shortage. Bacon is gone and the animals are dead. The stench and the cleanup would have been exhaustive. And, and literally, this is an attack against what the Egyptians worshipped, the god of Apis. Apis was the god of economic success. Some of you would relate this to, you know, the stock market, that, that all of those of us who really care about money, care about, care about doing well, we want what's called a bull market. We, we, because a bull thrusts upward and a bear market thrusts downward. He swipes down. And this is literally God attacking the stock market of the Egyptians, if you will, and letting the Egyptians know, your economy doesn't matter to me. Ah, I don't know what that means to you. I don't know what that means to you in this particular situation, but we have an example that God is allowing the Egyptians to know if you serve the God of economic success over the God who frees you from sin, you're serving the wrong God. I think this God is so powerful. I mean, seriously, if you think of the spiritual realm and the demonic realm, things just kind of reappear. Do you remember what the Israelites are going to do later on in our story? When Moses goes to the mountain and Moses takes a little too long uh, for the people down on the mountain uh, for them, and, and what do they do? They, they take all of their gold rings, they take all of their gold, and they throw it into a pile. It's burned into a calf, a cow. If we can't have the God who frees us, then we'll have the God who gives us money. And the funny thing is, is they were willing to give their goods and their precious metals to make a false God. No different than you and I willing to spend money to make us feel or at least make us look like we're successful. I mean, I, I don't, I, we're one of the only places in the world, and this may not be totally true, maybe there's a few places in Europe this is true, uh, where we literally attach our identities to the kind of vehicle we drive, okay? I'm not a Prius guy because I, I'm fearful of what that would say about me, if I'm honest. So I don't drive a Prius, right? 
And think about what you drive. Somehow, someway, you attach to it. Now, we've had people from Europe, specifically, we've had some people from Spain come and visit. And I remember when they came, there were some younger students that Johnny and Jordan brought over. And because almost everyone on staff has a truck, they were like, oh my gosh, these trucks are ginormous. And if you've ever been to Europe, like in Spain or Italy, most of our vehicles, not just mine, okay, don't say it's all my fault, uh, would not go down the streets of Italy. They wouldn't fit. They wouldn't fit. Half of my truck wouldn't fit. And they all drive these things. They, they're shoeboxes with wheels on them because they're way skinnier than Americans. And oh, I'm sorry, i got to stop there. It's, we probably need a meat shortage. Um, so this plague is a direct attack against the prosperity of Americans. And we spend money we used to. Now that God is being taken away from us. Maybe hold on to your money. Maybe save. Maybe don't spend as much. Uh, and, and God basically lets us know that, that he's the God of true prosperity. I think Jeff said it really well. The, the biggest success you can have as a parent is to lead your people and to lead your children and to lead your family into a beautiful relationship with Jesus. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 12, God says that God will enlarge your territory as he has promised, and then you will say, I will eat meat because you crave meat, you may eat meat whenever you desire. That's like my life verse. Um, but God's not just saying you're going to eat physical meat. He's talking about a spiritual abundance with him. And then the sixth plague hits. The soot becomes the, this dust that spreads out, and the boils start to arise because of this dust, de- de- uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the dust, and it's in a direct attack against the magicians and all of the false healing that was occurring inside of Israel. And I want you to think back to the economic stuff. Like, like Pharaoh was richer than you and I could ever imagine. The Egyptians were richer than you and I could ever imagine. In fact, if you just go through some documentaries and you look up the kind of stuff that their dead leaders were buried with, some of them were buried with more gold and more money than you and I will ever see in a lifetime. And then on the heels of this, these magicians come under attack by this plague because there is no healing from their false gods of healing. There is no true uh, respite other than that which comes from God. Exodus fifteen twenty six. speaking later of this, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. See, God's making a distinction between those that he brings to salvation and those who refuse to obey him. And it's really clear this isn't something that we necessarily have to fall into today because we have a new covenant in Christ that's based upon grace. But there's a reason for us to look at this verse and ask the question, who is the Lord that I would obey him? He's our healer. And he has the ability, if he so chooses, to ensure that the kind of plagues and the hardships that visit other people don't visit us. But if they need to visit us, they'll visit us, not because we need to be punished, but because that kind of tribulation will bring us to God. As I said last week, the Puritans called these things severe mercies. It's a mercy from God to put us through trial and tribulation so we see that we have a need for God, that we connect ourselves to God, that we find true life and freedom in him. And then the seventh plague, hail. Now, the Egyptians served all kinds of gods for weather, gods for, for rain, gods for, for the, 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 the flock, the, the, the fields, and God is letting them know there's no other God that can control creation other than me. God is declaring in this seventh plague in verse 
13 of chapter 9 that he and he alone is, has the power for creation. Psalm 148.5. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, from all hail and snow and mist and stormy wind that fulfill his word. Well, what does this mean? It means God is the one who created everything. He's the God of reality. I intended to touch upon a little bit last week, one of the struggles with the coronavirus, in my opinion, and all that is coming from the coronavirus, is we do live in, in a day when what has happened uh, is we live in, in what's known as the age of relativism. Relativism basically declares that what is true for you is true for you, and what is true for me is true for me. As long as I don't harm you, my truth can be my truth, and your truth can be your truth, and truth is all relative. And what has happened is truth has just been eroded. God is the only God of truth. That's why we study the Bible, because it allows us to see, not in our own opinions and our own inklings and our own emotions, but to cut through all of that and say, what does God truly want me to do? And because of that, now when you get online or when I get online, uh, it's easy to be duped by false articles and by uh, false media and by all kinds of craziness that just simply isn't true. We don't know what to do. In fact, I was telling someone yesterday, if you go to Ace Hardware right now, the, the owners of Ace Hardware basically had to say the employees were fearful and worried of getting sick, and so they had to mandate that you and I, if we go into Ace, we have to wear a mask. And so we do. And, and to be honest, whenever you go into Ace, what you're doing is you're showing the people inside that work at Ace that you care for their health. Whether you agree with it or not, you're serving them, whether you agree with it or not. It's not a sin to wear a mask, by the way. But then you go across the street. Just go right across the street from Ace and go to New Moon. And you'll see a sign that says, our employees don't wear masks because studies have shown that if they wear masks all day, they're apt to be more susceptible to getting a disease or being unhealthy to fight the disease. And then literally at the bottom in highlight, it says, please don't give them a hard time. Okay, polar opposites. <laughs> and so here I am reading, and I'm not a scientist. I'm not a scientist. Am I supposed to wear a mask? Am I not supposed to wear a mask? Uh, even now, the whole glove thing. Quit wearing your gloves all over the place. You're wearing the same dar darn pair of gloves. You're just spreading the disease. Do I wear gloves? Do I not wear gloves? Or you end up with people who say, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to stay home, and I'll never leave. And then they're fearful all over. We don't know what to do. And the reason is because we as a society don't care about truth. Now, maybe you do as a Christian, and I hope you do, which means you should look at the articles that you're reading because some of you are posting things from articles that I've, from people I've never heard of. That doesn't mean they're right or wrong. It just means I don't know where this came from. In fact, I literally uh, two weeks ago sat in on a conference call, and on the conference call was a Christian man from the CIA. And he said literally one of the things that they deal with online is dealing with thousands every single day of false news publications that come from Russia, China, and Iran. I don't know what you think about Russia, China, and Iran, but as far as I, I have heard, they don't care so much about the United States. And their whole job, what they're doing in these governments is sending false news into all of our little outlets that we're on to dupe you, to make you feel more divided with your neighbor and more divided in politics so that you're not focusing on what's actually happening in the world. Okay, that's truth. That's reality. And what are you and I going to do with that? I know you're not a governor. I know that you're not a public servant, but you have the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have the message of the forgiveness of sins. 
You have the message that allows people to reconcile themselves back to God, that their hearts would be changed. And may I remind you, dear Christian, that your job more than anything else, more than all of the politics and more of all that should we gather, should we not gather, is what can I do to be in a right relationship with God? What must I do to be obedient to Him and His mission? We have to get our eyes off of all of the junk and onto the Messiah. Come back to God before you come back to church. And then after the hail is the locusts. They're going to eat everything that's left. This is the false god of the fields. Many Egyptians depended on these particular gods, the patron gods of the crops, Isis, the goddess of life, who prepared flax for clothing. Napri, the god of grain, Anubis, the guardian of the fields, and Sinham, the protector against the pests. And God says, all of these gods are going to fail you miserably. Later in Exodus, God will say the locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts as had never before or never will be again. More grasshoppers than you could imagine. And then the ninth plague, we're going to save the tenth one just for one message. But then the ninth plague comes and there's a darkness which will never be felt in the land ever again. They have no mourning. There is no rising of the sun, which is a big deal because the Egyptians worshipped the sun. In fact, every morning, the rising of the sun in the east reaffirmed the life-giving power of Amon Re. And Pharaoh was known as the son of Re. Pharaoh was supposedly the reincarnation of Amon Re. And Amon Re was most... Uh, Amon Re, for most, was the king of all of Egypt's gods. But Amon Re, who was the biggest god, the Pharaoh, the reincarnated god, sound familiar? Jesus, the reincarnation of our God, the incarnate. Amon Re and Re cannot save you. Pharaoh cannot save you. False gods cannot save you. You'll have no light, no freedom without the true God that is Jesus. Who is the God that we should obey? Him? Let me give you a few reasons here based off of this, of all of these plagues. few things. I have three, three, and then I have one more section we'll cover. Number one, who's the God that I should obey? Number one, what he's letting the Israelites know and what he's letting the Hebrews know is that he and he alone is the true God. He and he alone is the one we should worship and appease to win favor of. Pharaoh is not the God, but God is the only true God. Number two, he's the only true God. Number two, all of creation is his. That includes you, and that includes the coronavirus. You are not your own. There is no independence apart from God. And number three, he and he alone is the God of salvation. And that's why he shows us the separation between the Egyptians and the Hebrews, that he can set his love upon a particular people if he so chooses. In fact, God says, I'm going to save you because I love you, not because you're good at anything else. God saves you apart from your works. In fact, one of my favorite verses if you have time to turn there, is Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. You, this is speaking of you, brothers and sisters, those of you who, who have chosen to obey the Lord and have fallen in love with God, like Jamie who has given her life to Jesus and is willing to study for a lifetime to follow him. For you, you are holy. Do you hear that? I know you're a sinner and I'm a sinner, but more than anything, you're considered holy to your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. He's chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all of the peoples on the face of the earth. That's what he says to the Hebrews. Out of everybody on the earth, I chose you. I didn't choose the Amorites or the Perizzites or the Hittites or the Parasites or the Cellulites. I didn't choose any of them. It's another dad joke. 
Brad Beers has been an inspiration to me. He goes on in verse 7, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that he set his love on you. It's not because you're numerous. It's not because you're the United States of America. For you were the fewest of all peoples. You were a great number, he says. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out of the mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh the king of Egypt. And just so you know, this is a correlation in the New Testament that God has chosen to save you out of the hand of Satan, out of the world, and he has brought you into a new place with himself. He's redeemed you. That's the word that is used for purchasing you. He is salvation, and the covenant is no longer the sacrificial piece of animals and all of that. It's Jesus on the cross. That is the covenant that keeps us. So why do we obey him? Man, there's just so many reasons. I just gave you three. I think there's three enough. I think it should convince you. I think if you're looking in on this message and you've heard come to God before you come back to church, that hopefully you are willing to come back to church because one of the steps that we're going to have to take is, is we're going to have to have some kind of social distance when we come here to some degree. And those of you who are sick or those of you who feel fearful of getting sick or those of you who are vulnerable, you'll still be online. And those of you who are checking out church for the first time in maybe years because of all of this, and I know you're there and I'm so glad you're listening, we'll still use the video feed. But remember, it's a first step because, because God has redeemed you as a bride and we're the bride as a whole, that we would be together, that we would be pulled out of our own selfishness. When the time comes, we need to come. But we've got to make sure we do whatever is necessary first before we come back. So a couple things I want you to see here before we close, a couple application points. Number one, we have to see that the fear of God to a certain degree does lead to salvation. Pharaoh, if he would have feared God, would have came to God. He didn't. The people of Israel begin to fear God, and it becomes the wisdom of God that becomes part of the salvation of God. But I think number two this will probably be the last, well, well I'll, I got two more. Number two, God desires real repentance. One of the things I want you to see is Pharaoh doesn't fully surrender. Look at 8.25. Pharaoh called to Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice your God within the land, and then he hardens his heart. Exodus 9.27, then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and said, this time I've sinned. He goes on and says, go ahead and do what you want to do. He turns his back on the Lord. He essentially has what's called worldly sorrow. What that means is he doesn't actually fully repent of his sins. So when we think about coming back to God, before you come back to church, it means three major things. Number one, you confess your sin for what it is. You admit to God that you've sinned. Number two, you have contrition because of that sin. So confession, they all start with C. Confession, contrition. You're broken over it. You recognize you've really done it. Pharaoh didn't. He just, the worldly, the worldly confession, he just realized uh, he hated the consequences of his sin. He didn't hate the sin itself. Confession, contrition, and then change. Before you come back, what do you need to change? Because when we gather, how we gather and the attitude in which we gather matters. If we're seen just fighting for our rights, then the world will not see us as the servant-hearted people that Jesus has commanded us to be. We have to be seen as serving our people, our community, our hospital workers, our teachers, and our government officials. So then, after we recognize that confession, here's the last thing. God uses this extreme trial. Like I said earlier, there's no other time in history quite like this. You've been chosen to live in it. Look at what it says 
in Exodus chapter 10, verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Do you hear it? It's basically a commandment from God that you are to continue to tell the story of God to each generation. So this is an encouragement for us that we're to continue to just enter into the story of the gospel and share the gospel with as many people as we possibly can, including most specifically, as he says, your own children. If you're a parent right now, the greatest job that you have is to tell the story of God to your kids. It's pretty fun. I have a picture of uh, Jesus. And it's just kind of a street art picture of Jesus. Actually, it's a, it's a piece that was made by one of our attenders. Uh, his name's Joe Craft. You've probably maybe seen seen him at some point, and um, it's kind of floated around the house here and there. And uh, we recently kind of redid our house, moved the boys' bedrooms and stuff, and so two of the boys have a different room, and just when you got four kids, you're kind of trying to shuffle things around, try to make it all work for them. And one of the things we did in Jonah and David's room is we, we put up a big wall of superheroes. And so we have all these different superhero pictures, you know, we've got Batman and Superman and all the Marvel characters and stuff, because because we believe the gospel is in the Marvel story. And if you don't believe me, just call me. I'll explain it to you. And, um, and I found this Jesus picture, and I said, hey, Jonah, you want me to hang up the Jesus picture on your wall? And he's like, yeah, do it. And on the other side, above his bed, we let him have one of the pictures of Hulk, because that's, uh, not Hulk, I'm sorry, it's Captain America, because that's his favorite. So he's got Captain America there, and so I hang up Jesus next to all these superheroes. And he comes to me, and he says, Dad, could I please put Jesus above my bed and put Hulk over on the wall? And it just touched my heart because my, my boy wanted Jesus to be closer to him than the Hulk. That's what it's like to share the message of Jesus with the next generation. And as I see it in his eyes, I can see he has a love for God that's true and real. It's not manufactured because I think Jesus has been kind of pushed back into the corner in many ways where the Hulk has been thrust before us or to be about this powerful, strong, magnetic kind of creature. Instead, my boy finds the servant of all servants who died on the cross far more powerful than any Marvel character. So with that, who is the Lord that we should obey him? He is the Lord. Let's come back to God before we come back to church. Love you and miss you. Lord, we thank you that you're in our midst. We thank you that you've brought trial and tribulation upon the Egyptians as well as some of the Hebrews at times and as well as upon us, that we would be reminded of our need for you. Thank you that you are good to us and that you are merciful and gracious and kind. Continue, Lord, to give our leadership wisdom beyond our years, beyond our own ability, and beyond our own knowledge. Help us to take care of the flock in which you've entrusted us, for this is a community that we indeed care about that are all part of Sierra Bible Church. We miss each member and love them dearly. But we also pray, Lord, because the church is not to just exist for itself, that you would continue to give us wisdom in how to serve Truckee and Tahoe, that we would not be seen by those who are lost in this world as just combating for our own rights, but that we would be seen as servants to the greater community. And if I'm honest, Lord, I don't think that we totally know what the right answer is. 
And maybe there is no right answer. Maybe it's just the heart of the matter. That we would go forward with, with your spirit in mind. And with your humility. Lord, the church needs humility. Your people need humility. It is you yourself that stated that we are made strong, not in our strength or our knowledge or our finances, but in our weakness. And in many ways, Lord, you have placed the church in a way that many people would think would cripple it. Instead, Lord, many are checking in on church to see what is it that God has to say? What is the Bible all about? And for that, we have to rejoice. So when the time comes, may we do it in a way that is safe. May we do it in a way that loves our community. May we do it in a way that glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, let's uh, stand and kind of dug deep for this one as we uh, look back on the Billy Graham Crusades. And I was thinking, I was watching this video and they would play the song at the end of a Billy Graham Crusade every single week and you'd see the masses just come down. And it was a reminder for myself, as Jesse even talked about today, that repentance is one of those things that we continually do. We turn away from evil. We turn away from our selfishness. We turn our eyes toward Jesus. And felt it fitting to close with this today. Maybe that's you today. Maybe there's something that you need to confess. First John tells us that we all sin and fall short, um, but our God is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And may we come knowing that forgiveness is free. The Apostle Peter tells us that God is not slow about, you know, his, his anger to come, but he's waiting for people to repent. And Lord, we come to you. Let's sing this together. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come 